What is up, everyone? This is the Celtics Talk Podcast. I'm Kyle Draper, joined by Chris Forsberg. What's up, Forsberg? What's going on, Drapes? Dude, two games in. The Celtics lead this best-of-seven series two games to none. We're going to get into where this series stands right now. It's Plus, over! <laughs> I, dude, Sorry. you knew it was over, though, before it started, know, though. Let's keep it real. This I, Game two was actually closer than I expected. You know, it's funny, because like every time I want to be like, this is we knew they were just going to steamroll them. Like you can make the real case that Indy should have won both those games. Like if Marcus Morris doesn't come back and and kind of carry the team in game one, and then if Kyrie doesn't come out and be otherworldly and everybody steps up at the end of there, they could be going to Indy 0-2. And yet you still feel like ultimately this team is going to Indy to finish this thing off. And like listen, I don't know if they're, they haven't played consistent enough for me to think they're going to go in there and win two games. But you steal one of them, you come back home. Hard to see me. Hard for me to envision this going beyond. Yeah, that. wrap it up in five. But here's the thing you take away two quarters the third quarter game one fourth quarter in game two if you're the Pacers you feel like you've outplayed the Celtics if you take away those two quarters but the problem is I felt like Indiana played a hell of a first three quarters in game two like and I think that's the best they could play on the road maybe at home they'll make some more shots that kind of thing but I thought that was their 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 best bat brand of basketball. And the Celtics, to me, have not played well yet in this series other than the two quarters we yeah. talked about. And, and, like, listen, I just think if you're Indy, you're just so dis- dispirited going home. Like, the, you gave them two really good punches, and they still found a way to win those games. And just like you said, they put three-quarter quarters together. I thought, you know, going in 12 to, into the fourth quarter, up 12, the lineup the Celtics trotted out there without Kyrie, yeah. I said, ooh, right, this is going to be tough. And then every like I, I, this is why I can't question Brad Stevens because you know everything he does. <laughs> I'm thinking Al played the final three minutes of the third quarter yeah. and he looks completely gassed. How are you going to get anything out of him in the fourth quarter? Terry Rozier, you know, obviously, listen, our guy, our but guy, but he's all over the map right. at times. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get from him. Like Tatum hadn't really stepped up and asserted himself yet. Jalen Brown has been good, but has been struggling in that starting role. And then all those guys go out there and put together like the best four and a half minute yeah. non-Kyrie stretch of the postseason. And, and I think that was really the stretch that changed the game. Oh, by far. Because then, and, and Kyrie talked about it in the post-game press conference, he's sort of licking his chops. He sees the team cut into the lead, wow. the deficit, and then he comes in and takes over. And so... That showed me something there. Uh, we've talked all season long about who's going to be the guy to step up outside of Kyrie. Well, Al Horford did to start the fourth a little bit, but also Jason Tatum, yeah. our guy. Tatum, Tatum in that man. fourth quarter. My gosh. Playoff, that's what, I love that guy. Playoff Tatum is back. <laughs> playoff Tatum. <laughs> we, now we have playoff Kyrie, playoff Al, playoff, playoff Tatum. Tatum. Like we, everyone's playoff now. Game one Mook. Not yet, not yet <laughs> game two Mook, but, but we'll get there. But no. Uh, but, you're, Tatum, Tatum, but you're right. Like They need someone. I've said this all lot. They needed two things. They needed guys, role players, who would step up on a game-to-game basis. So game one, you got nothing out of the gates. Mook's carrying you. You know, like, no one thought Mook was going to be that kind of a player in the postseason. They all thought his minutes were going to go down. No, he gave you everything on that. Night two, game two, Terry coming on and giving you a spark, plus 19 over 20 minutes. You know, he, he didn't he, he didn't have a great offensive game, but, man, he changed it defensively and with the hustle yeah. and bringing all those little things that Marcus Smart brings. And so now you've got that. But now Tatum being that sort of clear-cut number two and saying, I want this, that's just huge for this team. I, again, I don't necessarily think you can bottle that up and that it's going to get it every night. But if 
you can get an aggressive Tatum yeah. to, to play with confidence, to know that he has that potential, that's just a really good but, thing. But here's the thing, Chris, and which, which makes this team so dangerous. We know Kyrie's going to bring it. Mm-hmm. On any given night, it could be a number of the guys. It could be Gordon Hayward. Like, we haven't seen Gordon Hayward break out yet. yet. So in game three, it might be Gordon's game. We saw Marcus uh, Morris in game number one. It could be Jalen Brown next game. And so when you're game planning for the Celtics, A, Kyrie, obviously – but after that, they have a number of guys that could get you for 20 points on any given night. Can, can we gush about Horford for a few minutes? Oh, dude. My the, guy. My, my we, guy. We've now called every single guy. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, you know, Horford, uh, obviously not feeling great. Uh, Brad Stevens did not want to go into the blow-by-blow blow of what was going on, but you got the sense that maybe the food didn't agree with him on Tuesday yeah, yeah, night, yeah, yeah. that he had spent a little extra time in the bathroom <laughs> trying to trying to work some things out, and he looked sapped for energy for three quarters, and I thought he looked a step slow. And again, going to that fourth quarter, I was really concerned. Like, you need Al to be good right now, and he just played the final three minutes. Like, where are you getting him a break? Where are you going to like buy him some time to get some energy? He plays the whole damn quarter. He gets switched on to Bogdanovich no less than like four yeah. times over the final four minutes, not the least of which is Pacers up two after they withstood Boston's punch and actually came back. And they're up two looking for a knockout blow. Bogdanovich blows by Al, who staggers, somehow recovers and blocks the shot. They go the other way yeah. and Brown feeds Tatum, Tatum for the go-ahead three. three. Yeah. I mean, it's just an amazing sequence. But to me, that was like... Al, man. That, like, that's playoff Al. Uh, and, and, and and the great defensive play. And for some reason, Indiana kept going to that. Like, they, that was the matchup they, they right. wanted. That is but, all they got. But that was the matchup they wanted. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, I understand Bogdanovich made the deep three on Al. Great shot. But really shot. Bogdanovich driving to the basket against Al Horford is not a mismatch to me. You know, that's not an, something you're taking advantage of. I, How many I, times have we seen Al make that kind <laughs> of play, you know? I, I watched it like 57 times because I don't understand Bogdanovich jab steps him right and Al like stumbles right and I have no clue how he recovered if if Bogdanovich is a half a step quicker he gets that layup without trouble and so I don't hate the matchup uh but you know that's the shot you got to make in the playoffs you at least got to get it up and give it a chance to drop the fact that Bogdanovich misses spills out of bounds and they start going the other way just man what a sequence but that the other thing I, I take away that starting lineup from the start of the season was the closing lineup last yeah. night, and Baines didn't play a whole lot. They had to go small because they just needed to didn't get the offense out there, and but that gives me a lot of hope. That as bad as that lineup was at the start of the year, as much as it didn't work, man, it worked. And I know Indiana kind of. You know, yeah, pretty, let's talk about Indiana. They pooped their pants they a little bit. Their, <laughs> they pulled a Philadelphia. It, it reminded me of the Sixer series last year, so where it's a great game, but then the last two minutes, you know, people just lose their minds. And, and Wes Matthews, I that, felt that like, was, was the guy last night. That was a terrible three-pointer he took when they were up. Right. That was they were still up two at that up point. Up two. And he just kind of flung it off the glass and gave Boston a chance to hang in there. Yeah, like... That's where Nate McMillan's got to like get those guys together and be like, all right, listen, you know, you just put together forty good minutes here. Let's not waste it. Uh, I mean, they threw the ball around there at the end there. Yeah, that, that's that's concerning to me that they just don't have the mental toughness there in the late game stretch to put that game away right. or to, to keep themselves in it. It unraveled quickly. Uh, again, I think that speaks to the bigger picture here. Without Oladipo, right there with, it is. With, without you know guys you can just lean on. 
I don't know if they have the ability to play those tight game situations and find ways to win. Uh, now, listen, the Celtics didn't do that all the time this year. They've been We've been saying it all along, like adversity hits and they crumble. Well, this is, feels like a different Celtics team now. Twice hold now, on, hold on. I'm not going to no, let them I'm not hook? going to agree with that because Indiana – it's probably the most flawed team, maybe outside of Detroit, in the Eastern Conference. I'm right? with you. And Against I'm, any other team in the East, the Celtics lose these first and, two and games. And moving forward, they cannot allow themselves to get into deficits. But what? But what? I, I, like, if I'm, it, maybe it's just the green Kool Aid. But <laughs> I will take a little bit of solace in the fact that they got behind, and instead of just like being like, "All right, well, same old Celtics, we stink, we can't do this," like we'll get them next time. They actually play with urgency. And I do think there's something to that. Do you have to at least have it in you to come back in these games? And so, like, you're right. Like, listen, they get to the Bucks and they go down 12. Good luck, because right, right. Giannis is just gonna yeah, run you out of the gym. You, yep. And so, I don't think it's gonna be that easy. But uh, at least they're showing some resiliency. And and to me, that means they can get better. And you know, look around the league right now. How many teams are up 2-0? Like virtually nobody except Bucks, the Bucks, Rockets. And that's uh, it, right? Uh, no, no, that, and uh, the Blazers. And, and the Blazers, And yeah. so, but like, you know, everybody else dropped. Right, the, the, Toronto, the East dropping game Sixers, ones. Yeah. You know, listen, it, the playoffs are tough. And to, to be up 2-0, I don't care if it's a competition. A win is a win is a win is a win. And you just take them and you move on and know you got to get better. Uh, but at least you're 2-0. Yeah, Celtics up 2-0, games 3 and 4 in Indiana. Our guy, Asherah Blakely. Dude, he must have caught like a 5 a.m. flight on Thursday there. Sherrod likes to get out of town quickly. I, he really wanted to get away from us. <laughs> Is that, like, who <laughs> rushes to get to Indiana? You know, Indiana. I love the state of Indiana. You know, State of it, Indiana, yes. Yeah, that those are my people out there. You know, I got a lot of good friends out there. He must like there, Steak but, and Shake or something like that. Right, I mean, oh, Steak and Shake, dude. Good. Have you had Steak and Shake? Oh, my God. Yeah, dude, the late night fry run. Oh, my gosh. Those were the days, Steak and Shake. So, Sherrod's not with us here in Boston, but he is in Indiana, and he caught up with Jay Michael of the Indianapolis Star. He's the Pacers writer. To talk about this series, as the Celtics seem to be in control, let's listen to their interview. We are here with Jay Michael of the Indianapolis Star. Jay, how you doing? I'm doing great. But that would be a lie because I think I'm on two hours sleep and I'm on fumes. Right Full disclosure, him and I were on the same flight getting into Indianapolis this morning. And I think we may have exchanged, what, maybe two words? Two words and that was that it. That was it. Knocked out. <laughs> uh, speaking of knocked out, not quite knocked out, but uh, the Indiana Pacers obviously down 0-2 in this series. The Celtics uh, held serve at home. What do you anticipate seeing as this series shifts here to Indianapolis? I mean, look, I think you're going to see – couple of similar games here uh, with the result potentially being the opposite. Um, I think being home with the way the Pacers played in Boston uh, is going to potentially be the the difference in terms of getting them over the hump. Some of those dry spells, I just don't think I could see them going on dry spells like that at home. I mean, that's why they do call it home court advantage. Uh, but I think you're going to see a lot of what you saw in game two. Uh, the Pacers, uh, traditionally under coach Nate McMillan, they're not a switching team. Um, but against the Celtics in game two, they switched everything, and that's something that they experimented with early this year. It was March 7th against Milwaukee, and they were terrible at it mm -hmm. because it just wasn't their identity. And, you know, Giannis and that crew carved them up. Last night uh, against, the, um, against the Celtics in Game 2, 
remarkably better. And so I think how you saw Miles Turner defending Kyrie Irving in space, uh, you're going to see a lot more of that because they found some success with that. And I think as well, um, you're going to see Miles Turner potentially play some more minutes because, quite frankly, without that rim protection out there, um, you know, you can do all that switching, but, you know, Boston has such good shot makers. Miles Turner there at the rim kind of changes things a lot. So I think you're going to see a lot of him, more of him, and you're going to see probably even more switching and de-emphasizing post-entries because that's something the Pacers do a lot of. They play a lot through Thad Young and Demonis Sabonis in the post when they get these mismatches. Boston's made that a weakness, and as a result, after game one, they've gone away from that, and I think you're going to see that the rest of the series. They're not going to go to too many of those ISO post-ups. You touched on the, the switching, which is something that for those of us who've watched you guys this year, it's like, wait, what the hell are they doing? And those of us who've watched teams that Nate has coached in the past, we're at saying the same thing. What the hell are they doing? What made him believe that that was a strategy that would have some success? Because, you know, if you look at the, the numbers in terms of what you want to get done defensively, for the most part, it seems like he's getting what he wants out of that. Yeah, I mean, even against Cleveland last year in the playoffs, they switched more Obviously, because, you know, Cleveland had LeBron James and, you know, you had Kevin Love and you had some good shooters on that team. They didn't switch, of course, quite like this. It's out of necessity. Look, the defense has to take more chances uh, to keep Boston's points down. Held them on 100 points twice now, Mm -hmm. which, you know, you generally would take that and think, you know, we should have no worse than a split. You hold them on 100 in two games in a row. But without, of course, that consistent offensive scoring punch – you mean no Victor Oladipo to kind of help get them over the hump. The defense has to be that much better. And in this situation, um, I, I think they, they, they realize that, okay, they're going to be games, but we're not going to be scoring 115, 120 points a game, uh, have those spikes like we had with Victor consistently. Right. We got to be better defensively, and they're going to have to take more risk and some more chances. So I think what we saw was a product of, of that as well as their need to speed up their own offense to try to get some easy buckets. So they're going with three-guard lineups. So they, they have some mismatches as well. So they're mm-hmm. trying to – you know, it's almost like putting yourself on the verge of, of losing in order to win. You're taking chances – and if you hit, you know, jackpot. Right. And I think that's kind of what they're doing. They're realizing they got to change things up a bit because Boston had them figure out in game one. If they kept going to the same things they did in game one, this series would be over in four, and it would be as boring as a Milwaukee-Detroit series is going to be right yeah, now. Yeah, when you when – you, uh, and that's a badass series. That's a every terrible series. It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, but when you, when you talk about, you know, that scoring punch, I mean, obviously, we're, you know, we're talking about Victor Oladipo, one, you know, an all-star elite player out for this series, uh, you know, with, with his injury. And uh, understanding he's going to be in the building uh, for game three. How much can they kind of feed off of that that energy, that his presence, not on the floor, obviously that's mm-hmm. what they would want, mm-hmm. but just his presence in the building. How much can they feed off of that? Yeah, they, you know, when they went through their four-game losing streak, which was a season high um, after his injury, you know, the one thing all of those guys consistently talked about, was, man, we don't have Victor here like his, um, just his presence in the locker room. Even after they lose a game, he has this kind of, uh, this joy about him, this positive energy mm-hmm. that they started to lack. And mm-hmm. there, there was on two occasions, I remember Thaddeus Young saying, we were on the road, and, you know, he says, look at his locker room. He's like, it's dead. Yeah. He's like, we have no life. There's no energy. He said, Victor would at least be singing 
he he you know obviously be he's singing, always singing always singing uh, got records and everything yes, he, does. he has singing. records yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he's a little bit better of a prof- uh, singer than Deion Sanders was when he had his album um, <laughs> um, remember that hit a record must be the money must yeah. be the money yeah and, and, and the Jerry Curl juice flying all over the place in the video every drip yeah. drip <laughs> drop all over the place <laughs> big drip, old drip puddle everywhere he walked puddles puddle city my goodness yeah <laughs> with a blazer on with, with no shirt and his chest hair all out and oh, glistening just shiny. yeah looking like all Oh yeah, the whole soul glow thing. Going. Oh man! Um, but yeah, they're, they're missing Victor Soul Glow. Right. So it's oh, like, hey, I like that. <laughs> yeah, they just don't, you know. And I, I think, you know, they had they had to adjust to that, um, not having him there as a pick me up, not just on the court but off the court. And they they didn't have, you know, this team doesn't have any dynamic personalities in the locker room, right. and they have leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, but Victor, of course, was exceptional because of, you know, beyond things that he did on the court as well. So I think having him here, um, look, Banker's life is going to be crazy um, uh, for games three and four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's what I'm saying. Like those droughts that they had in Boston for third quarter in game one, fourth quarter in game two, I'd be really surprised if you saw that again here. If Boston's going to win both of these games or, or one of these games, they're going to have to do it with the Pacers playing closer to full capacity than mm-hmm. what we saw uh, in these uh, first eight quarters. When you uh, – you you're talking a little earlier about Miles Turner, and, and it, it was crazy because after game two, that's all the damn Celtics were talking about, about how mm-hmm. just amazingly awesome Miles Turner was. Mm-hmm. Kyrie talked about how his eyes lit up when he saw Miles go to the bench. And Tatum talked about how Miles ate a couple of his shots up or, mm-hmm. or forced him to mm-hmm. alter his shots. Why are we – why – I've seen him do this from time to time, but I've never seen him do it with consistency. Is that really the next step for him to be that dude on a more consistent basis? Yeah, I think part of it he has to be put in that position. So with him being put in a position where he has to switch on the guys like Kyrie and, mm-hmm. and Tatum, you didn't see a lot of that during the season. So so part of it is being in that position to do that. Uh, you know, I was telling some guys earlier uh, – I thought back in Phoenix, and granted, Phoenix isn't a really great team. Actually, they're pretty much trash. Mm-hmm. But they were in a close game late. He got caught in a switch against uh, Devin Booker, and Ooh. it wasn't by design. And guess what happened? He ate Devin Booker's lunch in space. Basically, that, that play uh, sealed the game. The Pacers mm-hmm. were ahead. It kind of sealed it. And that's when I remember thinking, like, hmm, maybe they could put Miles in that position more. Right. And so that, for me, that's when the light first went on. Uh, you've seen it here and there, but he hasn't consistently been put in that position. As I said before, like they generally don't switch one through five, so I think that's part of the reason. Um, but man, he is—he has been. You know, I always deal from this side uh, with with fans who complain. You know, I'm 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 a stat guy up to a certain point, and then I'm an anti-stat guy in other right. ways. But you know, I, I was getting my timeline blown up about when Miles only has eight points, he's being soft. I was like, I don't wow. think anybody on Boston thinks he's soft right now because, and I didn't, you know, obviously this is before the game ended, mm-hmm. and you could tell like, those guys wanted him off the floor for a reason. Yeah. That's not a soft player, right? You know, just because he wasn't hunting his shots offensively, and I think that's the part of his game that has to come around yeah. uh, where he has to look for a shot more. But defensively. Guy's a monster. He cleans up so much stuff. This, that this team had the number one. They allowed the least points per game, right. per one hundred possessions. They were third best, and they did it without Old Depot, who was what All NBA defender. Yeah. All NBA defense. So yeah. how were they able to do that? 
Miles Turner. Yeah, when you talk about, you know, hunting shots, that was something I remember talking to him after game one where he thought that he needed to do a better job of just being more assertive, aggressive from the offensive standpoint. But I always wonder, you know, with young guys uh, who have a very clear lane that they're successful in, for him it's defense, making that shift, is that a coaching thing? Is that has to be internal? I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? How does a guy make that shift, in your, your opinion? I think he has to push the envelope. And even though, I mean, I've seen situations where coaching staffs or a coach were kind of, you know, trying to keep a guy a little bit more disciplined in that lane and the right. player had to push the envelope, improve that, nah, I need more latitude. And mm-hmm. coach like, okay, you're right. I, I, think, that's, I think that's where that, that Turner is, that he has to be like, hey, look, I need this shot. Because, you know, this season – he started out the season not shooting the ball very well at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there was a point where he was about 25%, I remember looking at the numbers, uh, on unguarded shots. See, damn. Like, he was – that, that's how bad his shot was early this season. He, he didn't start out well. And, um, and then – so people weren't guarding him. So when right. they were the, – the Pacers are a, a pick-and-roll, a mid-pick-and-roll heavy team. So in Turner pops. He doesn't dive. I mean, you know, I've heard people say on national broadcasts, you know, Turner's more comfortable posting up. Wrong, he is a guy who likes to pop. So when he was popping at the foul line, nobody was running out at him right. Right. <laughs> and because he was shooting so bad. And then he kind of started to get his shot about him, and now he started to get people to close out a little bit on him. But the next level for him was popping to the three-point line. He wasn't popping to the three. And then he started to take more threes. And I think, for me, I think that is ultimately where his bread is going to be buttered, where – his next contract, if it's going to be bigger, that's where he's going to get his most money. He's going to have mm-hmm. the defensive part. Mm-hmm. That part's pretty much locked down for him. Uh, now it's can you be a 6'11 guy who can defend that way and who could spread the floor at the three-point line? Right. How many guys in the league will you be able to say that about? And that's yeah. what will make him unique. And he doesn't look for his three-point shot enough. And there are times where I think he pops to the foul line where nobody's on him. He can pop to the three get the extra point, more efficient shot, top of the key. Mm-hmm. But it also, even if he misses it, when the defense runs out to try to late contest, it opens up the middle for mm-hmm. offensive rebounds, right. for maybe he doesn't take the shot. Maybe he pump fakes the shot, somebody cuts, he passes it, and they get a layup. It just opens the offense a lot more. And I think for him, offensively, that's what his next level is. And I think he has to push the envelope a little bit because he, he's not a guy who's going to be like, you know, you know, Keyshawn Johnson, give me the damn ball, right? right? And maybe he needs a little bit of bit of that in him, and I, I think that's kind of where he has to go. Little Keyshawn, little Dion Swag minus <laughs> the Jerry Curl juice. Uh, what we need from you now? What do you expect in Game Three? Because I mean, in their building, you're down too well. I mean, it, it's a must win in every sense of the word for them. What do you expect? I think they're going to come out really fast. Um, I think uh, they're going to come out really fast and really aggressive. You know, and potentially get a, a nice, comfortable lead. The big question, of course, is are they going to be able to keep it? And that's right. something that they haven't done a, the greatest job of. Um, but, you know, if you look at the, the way the Pacers play this year, even when they're cooking, there are very few games. I think the last one where they really were dominant against a good team was when they beat Denver here. That was March 24th, and they mm-hmm. split their wigs. Mm-hmm. But you can count those games this season on one hand. Mm-hmm. So this isn't – so you, that that's even before Victor's injury. Right now, with Victor's injury, you have that game. They beat the tar out of the Lakers, but you know the Lakers. What is, you know, water's wet. Everybody's been right. you know beating the tar out of the Lakers this year. But other than those two games in the last few months, even at home where they have a big advantage, 
they, the games always get uncomfortably close at some point. Mm. So I expect them to get out quickly. Um, I think Bogey's going to have a really big game. Uh, but the question is, by the time you get to middle of the third quarter, where is the game going to be? And it always somehow gets in that uncomfortable area for them. And I think we're going to get to that point, and then it's going to be a coin toss. I think they're going to win game three. I think the big question is going to be game four because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's really going to determine right. what kind of series this is going to be. Yeah, well, one thing for sure, it's going to be an entertaining series. Most of the games really all. Damn near every game they played this year, regular season or in the playoffs, has been entertaining. Even that 84 74 <laughs> slugfest. You yeah. knew somebody was going to win. Yeah. Um, Jay Michael of the Indianapolis Star, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Uh, get you some sleep. Stay away from the Deion Sanders Jericho juice, and everything's <laughs> going to be all right. Thanks a lot, my friend. All right. Thanks. Talk man. to you soon. All right. Good stuff from A. Sherrod and J. Michael. J. Michael, a friend of the show. He's always welcome on. Too bad we won't be needing him after uh, Sunday, right? I mean, the series will be over. We'll be on to Milwaukee. If he wants to come up to Milwaukee with us. Exactly. That's, yeah. It's we not, not that work. far, right? It's not that far. <laughs> hey, uh, so it's been a wild playoff so far. I mean, when you look at, you know, some of the Eastern Conference series, uh, Sixers and Raptors losing game one out west. You know, we saw what happened with Golden State and the Clippers. Has anything surprised you? Like, what's been the most surprising thing in a postseason so far? So, I wasn't – and I think this was your power move at some point. You yeah. weren't particularly bullish on Denver. And I thought after they dropped game one, I was like, they oh, wow. They should be down 0-2. They should really yeah. be down 0-2. Greg Popovich should have thrown Jamal Murray's game ball right in the stands <laughs> after hitting all those threes <laughs> late in that game. Uh, you know, but I, I picked the Spurs in that series as well because I think we were on the same wavelength. Like, as good as Denver was, they're a regular season team. Yeah. And they had really outkicked their coverage. Everyone kept saying – you know, busting my chops about Milwaukee and being like, that might happen with Milwaukee. I just didn't feel that way. I felt like Milwaukee really was the best team in the NBA yeah. for this, the length of the season. And Denver, as good as they were, as good as Jokic was, it was like, who's the number two stepping up? Now, Jamal right. Murray did it in game he two. Did it in the but I, quarter, I'm yeah. just not sold that, that over the course of these playoffs, they're going to be a legitimate threat. And so it almost feels like it's going to be dubs and Rockets and whoever wins yeah. that is going it's on. Going to, on to that's finals, like the, yeah. that to me that's the Western Conference final. And I know that everyone's freaking out about the Warriors losing to the Clippers that 31 point lead, but like hey, the Celtics got to feel good about that 28 point loss now back right. in February. Yeah. Like oh, that's what the Clippers do, right? We're off the hook, you know. Uh that is like listen, the, the Clippers are a scrappy team. You know, so those are my big two takeaways is just essentially like I was hoping someone would push the Warriors out west, but if the Rockets can't do it, then I don't think there's any hope cuz I don't whoever survives out there like the Blazers have looked good and I, I'll give them a lot of credit. I thought they were in trouble against yeah. OKC. Uh, but it just feels like DeMarcus, that, that's actually a win for the, the you Warriors. Think so? I think, I think so. so. Uh, and so, you know, like when I look across the West, I'm just, I'm a little bit disappointed. I wanted someone to push the Warriors, make them work. Dude, you know, I think it's the Rockets, man. I want to see I, it. Though. I say it on Celtics post up. The Rockets will beat the Golden State Warriors. That's my drapes take <laughs> this week. I just think the Rockets are on a mission. Wow. Uh, they're business-like. They've, I, I know the matchup, uh, you know, with Utah was supposed to be a lot more difficult, but so far the Rockets have blown them out. And I want to go back quickly to what you said about Denver versus Milwaukee. The difference is we've seen Milwaukee with a sense of purpose, uh, uh, like they're on a mission right. all season long. 
I feel like Denver's just out there playing, and they yeah. just happen to rack up wins. Sure, you know, sure, sure. I, I don't see that hunger from Denver like I do see from Milwaukee. And they're good. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, Jokic has been amazing. And, and I kept saying, like, if, if Isaiah could have got back and was anything, anything like we used to be, right. there's another guy playmaker, yeah. another guy you can give the ball to and feel confident with out there, a guy with playoff experience. I'm just not sold that, you know, that, that Jamal Murray can step up on the big stage and Gary Harris. Like, they've got talent. I just don't think they're right. ready. I think they're a year or two away yep. from really being a serious threat. That Rockets is a hot take. That's I'm a not hot so, take, I'm not dude. Sold. I'm all in. I want Push it. the I want it. As, as, as much as I am a guy that believes Giannis is clearly the MVP, like, I want Harden to go out there and be great in that series. I want that if, to be a competitive oh, series. <laughs> I'd like, I, it won't change my vote. Like, because, like, you can't put factor in postseason and all that. But, like, I want him to just go out there and and, and I'm not destroyed the, the Warriors because like I'm not one of those pr- people that want to see the Warriors fail, fail. but I do want to change and I yeah, do, and yeah, I think yeah. they're just so ready for something different that you know it would be really neat to see the Rockets in the finals and see think a different about this blood. Chris it, it reminds me of the Spurs against the Miami Heat yeah. Ray Allen hits the shot Miami goes on to win that series. All next season, the Spurs were thinking about getting back to that point. And I feel like the same way with the Rockets. For James Harden, for Chris Paul, you know, those guys on that team. And you heard P.J. Tucker say it the other day. They feel like they can beat the Warriors. Mark it down, my boy. Mark it down. Upset of the year coming. The Rockets over the Warriors. In the second round, too. That's what's so crazy. They meet each other I mean, Durant, in round two. Durant would be in New York before the before the, the, the end, before May. You know, like <laughs> know, May, right? May, middle of May out there for the spring, shopping <laughs> apartments. I, I need that in my life. I want to see it. That's a bold take, and I cannot. I hope you're right. I just want to see how it plays out. The one thing I'm worried about with the Rockets, that, that defense, like they need to take it to another level, and they lost those guys last year. They're not the same team. And yet, who cares? If James Harden goes out there and scores 60 every night, it might not matter. All right, Chris Forsberg, great stuff this week, man. Always a pleasure jumping on the Celtics Talk podcast. Make sure you subscribe on all your favorite podcasting apps. Go out there and download the My Teams app as well. That's how you can listen to the podcast and check out all the great stories and videos from our staff here at NBC Sports Boston. Thanks again to Jay Michael for jumping on the podcast. Aisha Rod Blakely as well. We'll see you next time on the Celtics Talk podcast.